According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Let me get this earpiece situated here. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me as we get started in Numbers chapter 27. This is day 69 on our Through the Bible reading calendar, and so day 69 brings us to Numbers chapter 27, 28, and 29. We're going to cover three chapters tonight. Again, I'm having technical difficulties. We'll try that. You would think with ears as big and floppy as mine... Sometimes the um, microphone, headpiece, and uh, my hearing aid, sometimes they fight it out and they decide to not cooperate. They don't play nicely together, which causes all kinds of havoc for my left ear. You didn't need to know that. Before we do get started tonight, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you tonight thankful for your faithfulness, thankful for the blessings of your truth. And Father, just so thankful that we have the absolute standard of the living and abiding Word of God. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We live in the midst of a, of a lost culture, a drift, a culture that seems to try to affirm the non-existence of absolutes. So Father, uh, we thank you that we have the privilege and blessing to identify with you and with your truth, and with the absolute standard that you've made clear. So Father, we humble ourselves under your authority tonight, and bless our time of study, open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Numbers chapter 27. We left off with, uh, we wrapped up uh, chapter 26 in our last session together, and this was the second uh, census, the second military muster that took place. And uh, now that they've conducted their second military muster, remember it's been 40 years since their first military muster, they have wandered through the wilderness, they, uh, they had to see the, the physical death of that Exodus generation that's now departed, and now they're getting ready to enter into the land and, and conquer as uh, on a faith basis, unlike what their parents, uh, or in a manner that their parents did not do, they are now expected to do. And as uh, we're getting ready for the next uh, generation, we have questions that pop up. And so in chapter 27, we have one such question. The daughters of Zelophehad bring their inheritance question to Moses for judgment. So as we read through here, verses 1 through 4, the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near think, wow, that's a lot of names. Why, why are they so explicit on that? Because this question centers on their place. Where do they fit within the tribe, within the clan, within the family, within the head of household status that, uh, that happens here? Now, so these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. Five daughters. Okay, Just like Fiddler on the Roof with five daughters and no sons. So they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders and all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, 
Our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died of his own sin, and he had no sons. Now I've got more questions than answers at this point related to that, because we talked the, the rebellion of Korah not long back, and, and we saw that primarily it was a Levitical rebellion that had a, uh, a, a Reuben component to it, that the tribe of Reuben was involved. And we didn't know anything about, nothing in, the, in that chapter anyway had anything to do with the tribe of Manasseh involved. But now I'm starting to wonder how much more widespread was it? There were 250 leading men, leading uh, family members, and so evidently those could have been from, from Manasseh as well, probably from all 12 tribes. In any event, the girls here are testifying that their, their father was innocent of that rebellion, but he was guilty of something, okay, that evidently uh, that his death was the sin unto death in, uh, in this. He died for in his own sin, not the rebellion of Korah, but his own sin, whatever it might have been. And uh, we don't need to know, it's none of our business. It's not recorded in the scripture, so we don't need to worry speculating on that. But now here's their question. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a uh, possession among our father's brothers. And so that seems legitimate. It it seems uh, a legitimate question at at, at any rate. Uh, Is his name going to be erased just by virtue of the fact that all he had was the girls? And I mean, it's not like they quit trying. They they, they just had five girls and uh, never did have a son. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. And so it is a complaint or it is a a question or a problem and bringing it to spiritual leadership is never wrong when you are leaving in the Lord's hands for His judgment, for His determination. And, And God is validating their issue. He said, yes, that is a legitimate concern. By virtue of having no sons, then that name is going to be dropped out. And so again, we go back to this long chain here from uh, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of uh, Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. And so essentially that line is going to end right there with Zelophehad. There's going to be no son of to follow that chain down. It's going to end right there because these girls, we don't know that they're married. And, and in fact, no. Uh, I think we're going to have instructions on their marriage. Um, that They're going to they're going to marry into other uh, descendants, and so we're going to see how this plays out right here. Moses does take the case to the Lord. He does receive the Lord's instruction on the issue, and uh, that's what we read here in verses 5 through 11. So the Lord says, the daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel saying, if he's going to answer the immediate question and then give a rule of thumb to apply in other circumstances because this won't be the only time that this ever comes up. If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative in his own family. He shall possess it. It shall be a statutory ordinance 
to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. All right, so these are the details, and they're to be handled on a tribal basis that these uh, clans are supposed to be kept intact and that uh, they're not supposed to lose their uh, their inheritance just by virtue of... See, what happens is the girls end up marrying and and then property can go to other clans. And not only do we have the issue here, but then it's going to be revisited again when we get to the early chapters of uh, of Deuteronomy. So stay tuned for that. Understand, of course, this is vital for the nation of Israel. This is uh, key in their uh, walk in the Old Testament, in the in the law, uh, legal system that they were under. It is absolutely irrelevant to a Gentile nation, and it is doubly irrelevant to the church, <laughs> All right? Because we are neither Jew nor Gentile, and so these stipulations don't apply in the church age. and And it doesn't matter if you know the Bolander line ever dies out because uh, you know the boys don't have sons, and and the girls stop being Bolanders when they get married, and and all the rest of that. If in in our culture today, in our nation today, that doesn't matter, all right? Because there's no inheritance that's keyed to a promised land grant that's keyed to the unconditional covenant that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were party to. So um, it only uh, has the the ramifications in. Uh, in Israel, not the church, and certainly not the Gentile nations. All right, then we get to verses 12 and following. The Lord gives Moses instructions to put his affairs in order and prepare to die. (laughs) Right? Got to say that with the princess bride voice, prepare to die. So the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain of Abarim and see the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. Go ahead and walk on up there. Moses is good at walking up mountains. All right, and when you get up there, just gaze across the, uh, the land. And when you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was. We saw earlier, um, uh, uh, the other day, we saw the death of uh, Miriam, his sister, at the beginning of the chapter, and then the death of Aaron at the end of the chapter. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to treat me as holy before their eyes at the water. And, and the biggest damage Moses did, some people say, well, what's the big deal? How can he forfeit entering into the promised land because of just one temper tantrum? Well, the expectations are the highest when you are placed in the leadership function. And not only was it one temper tantrum, but it was in the full view of the entire nation that was looking to him to set that example, looking to him for the leadership, to represent the Lord uh, before them as the leader of the nation. So uh, failing to treat him as holy before their eyes at the water. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So you don't confuse it with all the other Meribah locations that were out there because this people grumbled practically every step of the way between Egypt and, uh, and the promised land. Also, Zin with a Z is not Sin with an S. Those are two different wildernesses, the wilderness of Sin and the wilderness of Zin, spelled differently in the Hebrew and, uh, and all of that. So, Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Notice he's not complaining about dying. He's not complaining about you know, being told to put his affairs in order. He's obeying. He's putting his affairs in order. And the number one item on Moses' list is, is the line of succession. Who's going to lead this people? Who's going to follow? In, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
in the, in the case of the high priest, there's a system in place for his son to become high priest, and they've already done that. They already had the change of command from Aaron to Eliezer. But what happens with Moses? Is, is the Moses' role and his function as the prophet to the nation, or his function as the, the mediator of the Mosaic Covenant, or, or his function as the redeemer, because he was the kinsman redeemer in a sense, the type of Christ who led them through the Red Sea. You know, is that is that a singular uh, office or is that a hereditary office? Is that something that, you know, should he expect Gershon or, or one of his sons uh, to to uh, follow? Not Gershon. Uh, he named his son, starts with a G, it means stranger. Um, is he supposed to be following him or not? Okay. So uh, he says, we need a, a change of command here. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who will go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And I love the vocabulary on this, and I love the emphasis, the the heart that Moses has in reflecting this. The idea of going out and coming in is is, it's the language of a shepherd. And this is what you do when you lead the flock out to to feed them and water them, and then you lead them back in to into the fold to, to rest securely at night, safely. And the idea of leading them out, bringing them in. But the phrase is used twice actually because before the shepherd can lead out and bring in, first of all the shepherd himself has to go out and come in uh, before them. And I just, I don't know, I like the language that's on this. The shepherd has to be in the Word of God so he can be shepherding the flock in the Word of God, we would say. So Moses asked the Lord for a godly man to shepherd Israel after he's gone. You know, and I think every pastor has that as a burden. And you know, what's who's gonna who's gonna fill this pulpit after we're gone? And and that's uh, the big theme at Schaefer Seminary right now. Their conference is going on this week, and uh, I'm surprised you're not there at the Schaefer conference. But all right, the. Um, the, the, the whole emphasis is who's going to follow us and are we training the next generation? Are we equipping men to stand in the pulpits after we're, we're uh, no longer around? So this is Moses' uh, burden. The Lord instructs Moses to anoint Joshua as his successor. So by name uh, there can't be any disputes or any fights about who's going to follow because God picked him. The Lord said to Moses, take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And have him stand before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. So the, the, the witnesses are going to be in place uh, to testify to God's instructions on this. Uh, Joshua is not subservient to the priesthood, but the priesthood is in full observance of this change, uh, change of command. Does that make sense? All right, because we're going to have very clear uh, division of powers related to the, the priesthood has their role, but the leadership has his role. Interestingly enough, neither Moses nor Joshua were of the tribe of Judah when it was that tribe that had the, had the scepter prophecy. So you shall put, so have him stand before Eliezer the priest, before the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. And um, that some of, yeah, of course he'll get all of it when Moses is dead, but at least 
a partial authority transfer while Moses is still alive, similar to the idea of a co-regency, very common when a king invests his heir as a co-regent, at least, and then you can have two kings until such time as the older king passes away. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord, as at his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So this is part of the working instructions as far as how Joshua is going to be able to inquire of the Lord, because Joshua doesn't have the full access that Moses had. Moses spoke to the Lord face to face. Moses could inquire of the Lord and get verbal answers back. Joshua uh, is not called into that office. He will be the national leader. He will lead the military conquest, but he is not uh, having the the, the blessing of, of inquiring of the Lord apart from Eliezer, the the high priest. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation. It is in full public view. There will not be any question as to uh, who is is taking over leadership of the nation after Moses uh, dies. It's going to be obvious to everybody. So then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So how many times do we see the laying on of hands, right? And every single time we see it, it speaks to the principle of identification, right? It speaks to the same principle, by the way, that baptism speaks to. It speaks to identification. And that becomes so critical because it spans the Bible. It spans everything. Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament. When you're killing an animal, the the laying on of hands is identification. When you're ordaining a priest, or today we would say a pastor teacher, the laying on of hands speaks to identification. And I think in the full public view we have the, uh, the benefit there. Joshua, the descendant of Joseph, will lead Israel into the land of promise. Joshua will not have the face-to-face privileges that Moses had, you know, and that's that Moses was unique in his in his day, and uh, there will not be another Moses until there is another Moses. We're going to talk about that because Moses himself is going to prophesy. He said, "After me, there will come a prophet like unto Moses, but so much greater." And Moses actually speaks to that prophesying of the coming of Jesus Christ. But Joshua is not that fulfillment. So Moses commissions Joshua as the Lord commanded. By the way, I mean, these are the kind of things we continue to keep in prayer. Uh, just uh, two days ago was the, um, was the uh, final Sunday for uh, Pastor Larry Hoffman at Westside Bible Church in Glendale, Arizona. So we're praying for that, praying for that change of command because they don't know who the, who the young man is going to be. They've been praying, they put a notice out, they've been uh, trying to get candidates, and and uh, so far the Lord has not seen to provide for that. So, give uh, give that uh, a center place in your in your prayer life. All right, so we get to Numbers chapter twenty eight. Now, for the rest of tonight, I don't know how long this will take. Uh, we got chapter twenty eight and twenty nine, and a lot of this is review. Okay, and you say, ah, oh, review. Yes, review. The, the repetition is vital. The redundancy is by design. It is there, uh, the repetition is there to drive the point home and specifically because a lot of these guys were kids when Leviticus was first given. A lot of these guys were, were too young and now they have to learn it in their own generation. 
So the new generation is given reminders concerning the daily burnt offering. We have the first eight verses of uh, Numbers 28 to, uh, to remind us of that. And if we wanted to, we could take the time and however late you want to stay tonight, we can read through Numbers 28. We can go back and compare to Leviticus chapter 1. In fact, it's good to put them side by side in columns for comparison purposes and then put a third column up there with Exodus 29 verses 38 through 42 and put them all side by side and see because they're not clones. They're not absolutely identical in every detail and there will be subtle differences between the accounts. All right, so Numbers 28. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. Curious how the sacrifices are called food, even though God doesn't eat, his priests do. And, uh, but these offerings are called food. You shall say to them, this is the offering by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, one year old, without defect, is a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Now this is curious, because in the ritual function, the ritual function seems slightly different from the secular function, from the daily function, right? In, uh, in, in counting the days in, on a calendar, very frequently the, the day begins at sundown. And you have evening and you have morning and the days are counted as sundown. In fact, their Sabbath is reckoned as sundown to sundown. And so they would start with the evening. But when it comes to the daily sacrifices, the daily ritual of the prophets, they, wa- they work on a morning and evening basis. Is it confusing? Does that bother you? Why do they do that? Okay, That's a why question. We don't have all those answers. <laughs> but that's what they do. All right, so every day, two lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening, and um, the morning and at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. And so it's well-pleasing, God accepts it, He's delighted to, to smell it, delighted to receive it. And uh, it is an offering by fire. Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. So notice they're not consuming it, they're pouring it out. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight as the grain offering of the morning. And as, a drink, as its drink offering you shall offer it an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. All right, so that's the daily burnt offering. Remember, this was nonstop. This was no matter what else happened during the course of the day. If the day happened to be a Sabbath, well, then you would do both. You would have the daily offering, you would have the Sabbath offering. If it happened to be the uh, first of the month, then you would do both the daily offering and the first of the month offering. All right? What happens if the first of the month is also a Saturday, is also a Sabbath? The daily offering, the first of the month offering, the Sabbath offering. Okay, you, You're not going to skate on any of these. God gets His due with all of these expected offerings. Alright. What if the first day of the month is also the first day of the year? Which it is, right? The Yom Kippur, I'm not Yom Kippur, but the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets. 
Okay, on the, the first of the seventh month is the, is the new year. Instructions for those days too. And if it falls on a Saturday? <laughs> All right, I'll quit. See, I've learned to love Leviticus. I'm on record. Verses 9 and 10. The new generation is given reminders concerning the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. So there's two every day, one in the morning, one in the evening, but on the Sabbath there's two more. Okay? Two and two. So we have, uh, again, Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10. If you want to go back and relate this to something else, we do have Sabbath observance that's given in Exodus chapter 20. And the explanation for the Sabbath observance is given there in uh, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And uh, the description there, six days you shall labor, do all your work. But in the seventh day is the Sabbath. You can read it all through this, but you know what you're not going to find here? The, the, the required sacrifices. This is the first specific reference to Sabbath sacrifices in Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10. All right. Also, it's very useful for us if you, if you keep track the difference between personal observances and national observances, okay? Because it's not every single Jewish person that had to offer a lamb every morning and every evening. It's the, it's the priesthood. It's the nation. These are offerings that the priesthood is offering on behalf of the, the nation of Israel. All right, thirdly, the new generation is given reminders concerning the new moon festivals. And uh, verses 11 through 15. Then in the beginning of each of your months you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls and one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect. Now this is at the beginning of each of your months. And you're not determining that based on the calendar. You're not reading on the, on the thing, oh, it's time to flip the page now. Or keeping track of, you know, this month has 31, this month has 29, this month has 31, this month has 30. They didn't do any of that. All right, They were tracking their months by the new moon. And they would spot that new moon. And they had spotters and watchers. And it was a priestly function, actually. And they had stipulations and rules and whatnot. If it was extra cloudy and they couldn't see the moon, then, uh, then they tried the next night. And if it was still extra cloudy and they couldn't see the moon, then, okay, well, they just said, okay, this is it. They took it by faith. Anyway, the beginning of each, so it's a lunar calendar, and, and that's, that's a whole different animal right there if you're going to study how lunar calendars get synced with solar calendars, and uh, they have to throw in extra days, leap uh, months to, to make up the difference there with, with, uh, to get to the calendar year of the, of, the, of the sun, of the seasons. All right. Anyway, verses 11 through 15 here. So, the beginning of each of your months, a burnt offering to the Lord, two bowls, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each bowl, and two-tenths of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for the one ram, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each lamb, 
for a burnt offering of a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hin of wine for the bull, and a third of a hin for the ram, and a fourth of a hin for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, verse 15, one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It should be offered with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. All right, so that's monthly. And the only previous reference to that came in Numbers 10. And this talked about trumpets and other things in Numbers 10.10. In the day of your gladness and in your appointed feasts and on the first days of your months you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God I am the Lord your God. So very brief reference to new moon feasts the uh, the first day of the month there in Numbers 10.10. This one is much more lengthy verses 11 through 15. Okay? Then we have reminders concerning Passover. And as if there isn't already a lot in the biblical record concerning Passover. There was the very first Passover when they were delivered out of Egypt. That's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 12. And then there's Leviticus 23 whereby the stipulations are given there. Leviticus 23 verses 5 through 8. Here in Numbers 28 we actually have a longer uh, stretch, just a longer number of verses there, 10 verses from verses 16 to 25. On the 14th day of the first month shall be the Lord's Passover, Nisan 14. That's the first month of the sacrificial year, not the civil year. On the 15th day of this month shall be a feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. Those, Those two came back to back. Passover was always followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall present an offering by fire, burnt offering to the Lord, two bowls, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect. Very similar to what you have on the uh, first day of the month. Verse 20, for their grain offering you shall offer fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for a bull and two-tenths for the ram. A tenth of an ephah you shall offer for each of the seven lambs. And one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall present these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a continual burnt offering. After this manner you shall present daily for seven days the food of the offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. It shall be presented with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. On the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. So this is again as a nation. And so while the priests are offering the priestly sacrifices, the the, the people, the population of Israel is coming together to have this observance. So far as they must be clean, they can't observe, they can't take part in the celebrations if they're ritually unclean. And uh, the things that we've been looking at. All right. Finally then, verses 26 through 31, the new generation is given reminders concerning the Feast of Weeks. Remember, they're counting Sabbaths. They're going to have seven Sabbaths after the the Passover. And this is called the Feast of Weeks. 
Also on the day of the first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall offer a burnt offering for a soothing aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for one for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one male goat to make atonement for you. Besides the continual burnt offering and his grain offering, you shall present them with their drink offerings, they shall be without defect." So those are the reminders in uh, chapter 28. Brings us now to chapter 29. Three more reminders. We're actually going very quickly tonight. So this was an easy night. The new generation is given reminders concerning the Feast of Trumpets. So Numbers 29 verses 1 through 6 compared to Leviticus 23 verses 23 through 25. Here's the Feast of Trumpets. Remember when we were in Leviticus 23, we went through each one of these feasts. We gave not only the, the ritual, we gave the procedures, but we also spoke about the, uh, the typology and what was the fulfillment of these feasts. Why was it that we had for Passover, we had the, uh, Jesus Christ dying on the cross uh, on Passover in 33 AD. And then for uh, Pentecost, we actually had the birthday of the church that took place on Pentecost, 50 days after, after that. We talked about that typology, and then we looked forward to the, to the fall feast. We looked forward to trumpets and, and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths, and we saw that those uh, fall feasts have their typology, shadow of typo- typology fulfilled in the realities centered on the second advent of Jesus Christ. So those are still yet future as far as waiting for a shadow doctrine to have a fulfillment, a reality, a substance, reality uh, connected with our Savior that will come about at the second advent of Jesus Christ. All right. Numbers chapter 29, verses 1 through 6. Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. So this is (laughs) a great day for that. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old, without defect. Also their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. Verse 6, besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering, say, it is also Obviously, it's the first day of the month, so there will be the, the new moon offerings. Well, this is on top of all that. So besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinances for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. And so this is what I was saying. It, it, it seems redundant. It seems like uh, there's an awful lot of dead animals on this day, and that's correct. The daily dead animal, the monthly dead animal, and now the annual dead animal for the Feast of Trumpets. And all of the, the grain offerings and the drink offerings that go with it. Then the Day of Atonement, on the tenth day of this seventh month. All right, the seventh month of the of the liturgical year. Remember, Passover was the first month. Now we're into the seventh month. 
So the, this is the, the, the span for the liturgical year. Don't let it bother you that the first day of the, of the seventh month is their New Year's Day. Okay? Does that seem odd to you? New Year's Day is the first day of the seventh month? Me too. <laughs> and like England used to celebrate New Year's Day on March 25th. Does that seem dumb? Yeah. <laughs> but that's what they did. Because New Year's Day was centered on the vernal equinox, it centered on the spring, and uh, yeah. All right. Let's get to verses 7 through 11. On the tenth day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. You shall humble yourselves. You shall not do any work. Because this is the holiest day of the entire year is this year, the Day of Atonement. This absolutely requires full participation. And, and honestly, I mean, it, for, for Jewish people that didn't make the effort maybe other times of the year to make sure that they were ceremonially clean, I mean, they definitely did for this one because this is the biggie. This is the one where you get the national cleansing. This is the one where um, all those sins you conducted, they didn't have the sin offerings or trespass offerings. This is the one day a year where you get the, the, the reset, you get the do-over. So you definitely want to be clean for a, uh, an occasion such as this. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a soothing aroma, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs. One male goat for a sin offering besides the sin offering of atonement and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. So that's verses 7 through 11. If you want the longer version of that, you're going to get it in Leviticus 16. Then on the 15th day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. Alright, so that gets us now to the final point here. The new generation is given reminders concerning the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is verses 12 through 40 which previously was given in Leviticus chapter 23. So on the 15th day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. This is the day after the Day of Atonement, right? Because that was on the, no actually it's I'm confusing myself. That was on the 10th. This is now on the 15th. Here we go. You shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall observe a feast to the Lord for seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bowls. That's a lot of bowls. Two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, which are without defect. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bowls two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs, and, and one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the second day, twelve bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect. Are you remembering all these bulls from thirteen to twelve? I'm not remembering that. We might have to go back to Leviticus 23 and double check this. On the second day, twelve bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number, according to 
the ordinance. And one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offerings and its grain offerings and their drink offerings. Okay, So this feast is going over seven days, but you're not off the hook for those daily offerings. Those are still ongoing. Plus, if you think about it, if this spans seven days, you're going to be crossing a, a Sabbath in there somewhere. Okay, So don't forget the Sabbath. Then on the third day, 11 bowls. Two, so we went from 13 to 12 to 11. Are you tracking? I think I'm reading this for the first time ever. How have I not noticed this before tonight? In their, in their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bowls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number according to their ordinance. And one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering and his grain offering and his drink offering. All right. See, this is why you can't just assume that you know what you're reading and your eye glazes over and you just scan down the page and then you've read something, you know, a dozen times between now and whenever and like, seriously, I've never seen this before? 14, 13? What are we down to now? All right, then on the fourth day, 10 bowls. I'm noticing a pattern here. 10 bowls. Two rams, 14 male lambs, one year old without defect. Their grain offering, their drink offering for the bowls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number according to their ordinances. And one male goat for a sin offering. Don't forget that. Besides the continual burnt offering, it's a grain offering and it's a drink offering. All right, I'm going to have to slow down and read more carefully. Something's going to slip by me here. We're going to be missing a male goat in one of these verses. I don't know. What are we going to be missing? On the fifth day, nine bowls. Two rams, 14 male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number according to their ordinances, and one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offerings and its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams. Did I skip one? No, we had nine. Okay, nine bulls, eight bulls. Two rams, 14 male lambs, one year old without defect, in their grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to their according to the ordinance. And one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offerings, its grain offering and its drink offerings. Then on the seventh day, seven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number, according to their ordinances, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the eighth day, you shall have a solemn assembly, you shall do no laborious work, but you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fires, a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect. So this is considerably different. Their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, for the lambs, by their number according to their ordinances, and one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offerings and its grain offering and its drink offering. You shall present these to the Lord at your appointed times besides your votive offerings and your freewill offerings for your burnt offerings, for your grain offerings, for your drink offerings, for your peace offerings. And Moses spoke to the sons of Israel in accordance with all that the Lord had commanded Moses. All right, so that gets us down to the end of chapter 29.
reminders concerning the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there was nothing in here related to the booths. Let's go back to Leviticus 23. All right. I'm even going to back up slightly earlier. Okay, that's Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. Getting down to verse 32. All right. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel on the 15th. The seventh month is a feast of booth for seven days to the Lord. All right. And then on the eighth day you'll have a holy convocation. All right, but it doesn't do the countdown. We didn't get that until... All right. See, I knew that was new to me. I hadn't encountered that before. All right. These are the appointed times of the Lord with which you shall proclaim His holy convocations. Each day's matter on its own day. Besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides your votive free will offerings which you give to the Lord. And then you have these descriptions about waiting and then about building the little booths. Palm branches, foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, bows of leafy trees. Living in the booths for seven days. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel all the appointed times of the Lord. All right, so there we have it. That's the conclusion of Leviticus 23. Double checking myself that I have not lost my mind. So yes, we have the countdown from 14 down to 7 for day 1 to day 7 and then the 8th day is this convocation that has more of a standard burnt offering schedule for the day. One bull, one ram, seven lambs plus the male goat for the sin offering. All right. Still learning to love Leviticus. This is Numbers. This is like more Leviticus than Leviticus. <laughs> Having this countdown from 14 down to 7 and then the, that caught me by surprise. All right. Well, um, that wraps up what we're covering tonight. For tomorrow night, we're going to move on into chapter 30. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, chapters 30 and 31. And uh, since I raised two daughters, um, this is a chapter talking about the father's duty to his daughter and then the husband's duty to his wife when the girl goes from the protection of her father's home to the protection of her husband's home. And so uh, stay tuned for that tomorrow night as we get to that. I, I love that chapter. We'll deal with that. All right, let's um, do another Logos demonstration since we do have time. And I want to see also, let me come back to the top of this description. Somebody has done the math to add up all these animals. And I remember reading that. I remember reading uh, the sum total of all those animals. And I don't recall now if that was in the, uh, which commentary that might have been in. So we can find it together. You have a passage like Numbers 29 verses 12 through 40. 
And you'll notice that's what got populated in the um, window up there. And it got populated in that window because that's the link that I clicked down here. Numbers 27 verses 12 through 40. So now with that being the range that's stipulated there, when we come up here and we decide, okay, I want to do a passage guide on this particular range, that's what's going to come up then in the passage guide. So, well, maybe not. Let me try this again. 12 through 40, then I'm going to do a guide, passage guide. Numbers 29, 12 through 40. Okay, so it populates that window too. It says, this is your active reference, this is what you're studying. And so now if I want to do a passage guide for that range, I'm just going to hit the arrow there, I'm going to watch it build. And depending on the size of your library, depending upon the speed of your processor, this will take longer or shorter, just depending. Also, um, if you get tired of waiting, you can hit stop, but we're going to let it run. We're going to let it just do its thing as it's working. Okay, as it's working its way down. Looks like it's still working. We're going to let it go. All right, so in a passage guide, the top panel is your commentaries panel. Um, I... That's pretty much, well, you have your content. Right now I don't have any material there. And then uh, the commentaries, then the journals. That might be promoted, I think. That might be a special one that I added later. Because you can customize all of this. And if, there's, if there are panels that you just find that you never use, get rid of them. Okay? You can put them back later if you decide you're going to start using them. But I find that I, I'm, I'm always looking at the commentaries, I'm always looking at the journals, in fact, I created a custom guide that's faster than the passage guide because it's just commentaries and journals is all it is. Then uh, below the commentaries and the journals, you have your parallel passages. So you can find the different places that numbers that speak of the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, for example. Leviticus 23, Numbers 29, Deuteronomy 16. Then you got a panel for your cross-references. Depending on what you like, I, I like the new Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. It's improved over the old Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, but they're both available. They'll both populate in your Passage Guide series. And it gives you some of those cross-references right there in the panel itself. Isn't that amazing? 262 passages are all parallel to well, we've got a pretty large range there, verses 12 through 40. Important passages. <laughs> Makes me laugh occasionally, right? Like, is there any passage in the Bible that's unimportant? Okay. But it is curious, though, when you see um, Numbers 29, 12 through 40, that range that can pop up in a variety of places. And... Um, in different commentaries, in different lexicons, in different uh, resources that you have. Shared senses, shared people, places, things, similar commands, similar sacrifices. I don't do much with that panel. Maybe I should explore that more and get better at it. Important words. These are the word studies that are done most frequently by other Logos users. So they're important to somebody. I think every word in the Bible is important, but they, 
They've got to find a better label for these sections, and I'll quit teasing them for it. References in the, in the atlas to where they are in the wilderness journeys, biblical places. There's no places in this biblical people. Anyway, you can work your way through. These passage guides are amazing. I'm going to go ahead. Well, let me finish this. We're halfway down the panel. People, places, things. So many graphics and pictures for these things in case you don't know what they are. Biblical events. This will show you on the timeline where this fits, so that's handy. Outlines. So many different resources put outlines into the into their work. Literary typing. Most of these I have collapsed. Figurative language, cultural concepts. Ancient literature. Besides the New Testament, who else has cited Numbers 29? Well, you got some material here from the ancient Near East. The Church Fathers, the Dead Sea Scrolls, different uh, Jewish writings, Old Testament pseudepigrapha, apocryphal works, works of Josephus, works of Philo, in case you're interested. (laughs) Okay? I mean, if you're pulling up Josephus and Philo in your studies of Numbers 29 and the Feast of Booths, God bless you. Okay, you're uh, evidently studying to a degree beyond anything that I've ever gone into. Also, uh, your biblical theologies, your systematic theologies, your confessional documents. I rarely look at those different sermons. Oh, look at that. Oh, you know what? That's my own. That's day 69. That's tonight. All right. Good. I'm preaching what I'm supposed to be preaching tonight. Faith life sermons. Oh my goodness. We're not the only church that's using faith life for their ministry, for their outreach and and whatnot. And several of these churches actually post their slideshows and post their messages and, and so forth. So if you want to watch some of those, Knock yourself out. Themes, thematic outlines, topics. Wow, tons of topics there. Illustrations. Several illustrations there. Wow. Music. What kind of music? Nope, no, there's no, no hymn results from... I'm shocked. There's no Feast of Tabernacles. There ought to be. We'll get Doug to write one. Feast of Trumpets. Yeah, there should be a trumpet piece. Interactives. All right. Bookstore, because, you know, Logos will always sell you more books. It says, look, you haven't bought these yet. Wow. Slideshow uh, material and sermonaudio.com. Okay, so that's the full top to bottom what a passage guide can do. Taking it back to the top, 
You see why very frequently all I do is the commentaries and journals. I don't load all the rest of that other stuff. But it's available. All right, so in my top commentaries here, see if I can find the one that I remember reading. Large quantities. Yeah, large quantities. One of these commentaries actually totaled it all up for the uh, the seven-day total. Here we go. Yeah. Large quantities of offerings enumerated in this section confirm the agricultural nature of the festival. The total number of animals slaughtered was 71 bulls, 15 rams, 122 lambs for burnt offerings, including the daily burnt offerings, and at least one for the Sabbath. See? Because you're going to have a Sabbath in there somewhere. The number seven was featured in the double portion of the seven lambs offered, an additional sign of blessing, and the decreasing number of bulls daily, whereby seven bulls were sacrificed on the seventh day for a total of 70 plus one on the eighth day. The accompanying grain and oil added up to approximately 22 bushels of fine flour, 65 gallons of olive oil. In honoring Yahweh for the fullness of blessing, the number of fullness uh, of community offerings from their flock and from the field were returned to God via the Holocaust upon the altar. All right? And keep in mind, the Hebrew vocabulary there is appropriate as it applies to what is a holocaust. Where does the word holocaust come from? Anyway. So the first and the eighth days of Sukkoth were Sabbaths for sacred assembly. Days of rest were for remembrance of creation, covenant, and deliverance of fundamental aspects of the unique relationship between God and his people. The day-by-day delineation draws a resounding conclusion to the ceremonies that reflect upon essential elements for the livelihood of Israelite agrarian society. Because this is the final one. They're, they're done for the year. They're going to come back next year for Passover. You know, in the first of the month, they're going to select on the 10th of the uh, month and go through Passover on the 14th. So this really is the grand finale of their, of their sacrificial year. By giving back to God the life of a portion of what, of that which he has given to sustain life, the people would acknowledge his sovereignty and ownership of all. In like manner, Jesus' pronouncement on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem emphasized the essential aspect of life in submission to God. This is John chapter 7. When, remember, at first he wasn't going to go up for that feast, and then he went up halfway through, as it were, in secret. And then he started preaching, and the crowds were amazed. And on the last day... If anyone is thirsty, let him come in to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Anyway, there's more on that. So yeah, that's the commentary I remember reading that had the, had the grand totals. All right. Well, I hope that helps. And if you want to do more on that, then uh, we'll, we'll try to do more of this Logos training and uh, get people comfortable with their software and the blessings of uh, doing these searches on your own. I'm going to do some more tomorrow night. In fact, I think um, we've got some more coming up too where we're going to show how to do the searches, how to do the uh, the, the coloring that, the, that I like to do, and uh, to do those visual filters where you can color certain phrases as they appear over and over again in, uh, in that. So stay tuned for that. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the day-by-day reading and uh, for the, the pulpit teaching that's matching the schedule. We just give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.